of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Scott drilled that into our minds this morning, and I appreciate him doing that. That is the verse that is the theme uh, for this entire week. So I want you to commit that to your memory. Um, And by the end of the week, I hope you understand the importance of understanding the faithfulness of God. And we're going to continue to build this evening and and consider uh, an aspect of God's faithfulness and the way God has operated with humanity. Um, We talked about yesterday that God is faithful by his very nature. So we're not just talking about the things that God has done. We're actually talking about the essence of who God is. And God is not man. And God is the perfect manifestation of all the things that you and I ought to strive to be. Understanding that we ourselves are not God and we will never ascend to that level of being. But the aspects of God that he's given to us, we ought to emulate uh, as we are his people, his children, and his ambassadors in this world. So tonight we're going to talk about God is faithful by covenant. So I want you, that word covenant can get confusing sometimes. It may seem complicated. But essentially a covenant is this. It's an agreement between two parties. And there are various different types of covenants that we find in the Bible. And we're going to talk about three distinct types of covenants that we find throughout the scriptures of how God established a relationship with man. Because everything God did was by covenant. And I think that's interesting when we think about God's relationship with man. It wasn't something that he just did without putting thought and consideration into what it was he desired to have out of the relationship with humanity. Now, when we think about covenant, I want you to understand God wants a relationship with you. Jesus came to die for your sins. Yes, he died as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And yes, his blood is sufficient to forgive the sins of the world. But you know why that matters to us? is because he died for your sins. I want to tell you, that was a promise that he made by covenant from the very beginning of time. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, we referenced this yesterday in our opening lesson. It said, but it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who what? Keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So because God is a God who keeps covenant... You and I can trust in what he's going to do and knowing what he's going to do and what he's going to perform, it ought to alter the way that we live today. This is important for us to understand in relation to God. Brother Scott said this morning in his singing instruction, guess what? You're going to get out of this week what? What you put into it. If you're here to just have fun, you're going to leave and you're going to say, hey, I had fun. And that's great. But I want you to leave with a deeper understanding of the relationship that God wants to have with you. And that starts with understanding the importance of this idea of covenant. Now, the first type of covenant we're going to talk about very quickly, okay, is something called a parity covenant. Now, this is an agreement or a relationship between two equal parties. 
There's not a superior and inferior. There's not a powerful and a non-powerful being in this agreement. They're both equal partners in this covenant, in this agreement, okay? So we might think of a friendship. Can you think of anybody in the Bible that uh, established a covenant to be friends with one another? The greatest example probably is David and Jonathan, that they made a covenant with one another. Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was king of Israel, and David, the Lord's anointed to replace. David and Jonathan had such a bond that they made a covenant with one another that they would be friends and loyal to each other. That's an example of a parity uh, covenant. Another example of a parity covenant is the covenant of marriage. I want to tell you, marriage is a covenant. And I think we need to understand and make sure that we're teaching that concept. That marriage isn't just an institution of our government giving authority to two people to be lawfully wedded together. But marriage is actually a covenant relationship ordained by God. Malachi chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 says, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. You know what that says? These people were coming to praise and worship God, and they were pouring out their tears before God, and God was saying, I don't receive that. (laughs) They were coming and worshiping, giving what they could, and God was saying, I don't accept that. And you know why God didn't accept it? He tells them there in verse 14. But you say, why does he not? And it says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So God was watching his people Israel and their adulterous ways, their idolatrous ways and saying, you come and worship me. I don't accept it. You know why? Because you're breaking the very covenant that I have initiated with you and that you entered into with your wives and you're dealing treacherously with those wives that are your wives by covenant. And then you want to come worship me. It doesn't work that way. So that's a parody covenant. The second type of covenant. It's a suzerainty covenant. I'm not going to say that again. Okay? Suzerainty covenant. And this is an agreement between a definitive superior and someone who's an inferior party. Okay? One side has all the power. So sometimes a country may go in and take over another nation and and that country that's in power takes over and says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and let you continue to operate independently, but, but you're going to be subject to us. But we'll let you maintain your own identity. But, and that was an agreement that those kings may have with one another. One side is much stronger and the inferior party may accept or reject this offer, but has no ability to negotiate or change the terms of this type of covenant. An example of this is what we find in Exodus 24. This is where God essentially ratifies the covenant with Moses. Okay, and he's making an offer to the people. He's given Moses the Ten Commandments. He's given him the law, and he goes and reads that law, and then the people can make a decision, right, whether they're going to listen and obey or not. But who's in control of dictating terms? God. Exodus 24, beginning there in verse 3, it says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. There's that word again, rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
Thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to serve you. We're going to listen and obey. And then you see the process. It says Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, uh, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in basins, and half the blood he threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people. And what did they say? All the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will... Be obedient. We have a problem with obedience today. And it's a shame that there are churches that won't teach the importance of obedience to the will of God. God has always required obedience. And that doesn't change because now we live under a better covenant. God's demand for obedience is still consistent. But the promises of the covenant we live under are far better than even the promises that were given to Moses and the children of Israel. Notice what they said. We will be obedient. What did Moses do with that blood? He he threw it on the people. That was a sign of that covenant and their acceptance of this suzerainty covenant with God. And then the third type is called a unilateral covenant. That means one party makes a promise. And the other party doesn't have to do anything. It's a promise that's made that's going to be delivered. Okay? Um, An example of this, uh, we would find all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We refer to this as the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. Because it was in the punishment that God was giving to who? The serpent. Remember, the serpent had beguiled Eve and she had believed a lie. She had eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She had given to her husband with her, and, and he ate. And the fall of man happened. Sin came into the world, and God punished Adam. He punished Eve, and then he punishes the serpent. And what's he telling? I will put enmity. He makes a promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This speaks of Jesus actually coming and dying and being dealt a wound to his heel in comparison to the death blow that he would deliver to Satan and being resurrected from the dead. Did you or I have anything to do with that? Did we impact that promise one way? No, God made a promise and he did it. That's a unilateral covenant. So, Those are three types of covenants. Another example is found in Isaiah 46. I just want you to notice there in verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And the conclusion there in verse 11, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purpose, and I will do it. So God has operated through various types of covenant with man. Parity, two equals, okay? That is never an example of a covenant that God makes with anyone because no one is God's equal, but those are covenants we might make with each other. When I was a kid, I hate even telling you I did this. Did y'all ever have blood brothers? Brad's nodding his head, so he knows what I'm talking about. Brian, I'm sure, knows. Don't do this, (laughs) young kids. But we would actually prick our 
fingers or, or cut our hands a little bit to get enough blood that then we would shake hands and we were blood. Don't do that. I, I'm, I'm sorry I even told them that, parents. I apologize. Uh, but that was an agreement between two equals that we're going to be friends. We're going to be connected. We're going to have this relationship with one another. Okay? Hey, stay with me. It's too early in the week for that. All right. So why does this matter? Because there is a new and better covenant. Okay? If you need to get up and go to the back and get a drink, go get a drink, okay? God, through all of the covenants that he's made with humanity, gives us one that is so far superior that we would be the most foolish people in the world not to take God up on this offer. And I want you to notice this passage in Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 6. It says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So God says, there was a covenant that I had with my people. They did not keep the terms of that covenant. Therefore, I have no more regard for them. And guess what? Now I'm going to give them a better covenant. And I'm going to offer you something far better. And what he's referring to here is prophecy that was given in Jeremiah chapter 31. So even within the Old Testament, within the Old Covenant, what was God saying? This covenant, guess what? There's one that's coming that's better. And then in the book of Hebrews, he's saying Christ is the mediator or the one who establishes that new and better covenant. Concluding there in verse 10, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law where? Into their hearts or into their minds. And write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And notice this. This is what the old covenant never had. I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that an amazing promise? (laughs) That the holy God and creator of everything has looked at you and I and says, you know what? I know you've sinned. I know you've thought things and allowed your mind to dwell on things that you shouldn't think about. I know you've had hate in your heart. I know you have lusted after women. I know that you have done things with your body to defile what God created. I know you've lied. I know you've stolen. I know you've been manipulative. And all the ugly things that humanity has been and can be, we've done. And guess what God says? We're now at a point where I can do away with all that sin. 
and never remember it again. Isn't that pretty awesome? Wouldn't that be a promise that we would want to take advantage of? If God is telling us he's capable of doing that. I'll tell you, that's why this is a new and a better covenant. And we need to be very gracious and thankful to God that he is a God of hesed or mercy toward his people in this covenant. But I'll tell you, the purpose of all covenants in the Bible were really to lead to this superior covenant. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was what? Foreknown before the foundation of the world. You know, Jesus wasn't plan C. You know, sometimes we think of when we read the Bible that, well, plan A was Adam and Eve in the garden. And if they wouldn't have eaten the stinking fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, everything would have worked out perfectly. But they didn't and they sinned. So that didn't work. So guess what? Then eventually God had to give them a law. He gave them the Ten Commandments in stone, right? All those 613 laws. And guess what? That didn't work. So then he had to send Jesus and he finally got it right. I'll tell you, that's a flawed theology. Jesus was the only plan from the very beginning. He is the fulfillment of all covenants. Every promise God has ever made, Jesus is the ultimate purpose and fulfillment of. And guess what? God planned that from the very beginning. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9 puts it this way. And to bring to light for everyone that is the plan, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of every promise or covenant that God has ever made. I want to show you how. These are just a few. The Edenic covenant or the covenant in Eden. What did that show? That showed God's authority and rule over his creation. The Adamic covenant with Adam and Eve. That is a covenant of redemption because they fell and sinned and he was going to redeem them eventually. The Noahic covenant is a covenant showing God's restraint because God had repented that he even made man and what did he want to do? He wouldn't destroy everything, but Noah found grace in the eyes of that showed God's restraint. The Abrahamic covenant was a covenant of restoration that through Abraham and his faithfulness, God could create a holy nation of people. The Mosaic covenant was a revelation because through the law, we see the holiness of God. Because no man could live according to that law, but, but God could. And Jesus did. Showing to us, revealing his holiness and perfection. Uh, The Davidic covenant showed the reigning power of this authority and this king that would come from the seed of David. And then we see the new covenant in Christ, which is a covenant of regeneration. I want to tell you, we see Jesus in all of those. Because that was God's purpose. Think of the... Adamic covenant in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, or chapters 1 through 3, the Abrahamic covenant 12 through 22, the Mosaic covenant there in Exodus, leading to Jesus' new covenant, and all of that being fulfilled at the cross. 
Luke 24 and 27, as those two were walking on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection of Jesus, remember what Jesus told them as he was beginning to reveal himself to them, as he listened to them talk about what had just happened? It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying all these other covenants, all these other teachings, all these other words, guess what? They're all about me. (laughs) And I can show you me throughout the entire Old Testament teaching of God's word. And he revealed himself to them. John said it this way in John 20, that but these are written so that you may believe, speaking of the New Testament documents, that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. This is why these covenants are so impactful and important for us. But why is the new covenant better? Number one, the old covenant of Moses was a ministry of death. You realize that? Every year, and not just yearly were there sacrifices that were required, but every time they violated a law of God, what did they have to do for that sin? They had to go make a blood sacrifice. But yearly, there were millions of animals that were slaughtered and blood flowed. And that blood, year after year, was a reminder of their sin and the atonement and what it would cost for sin to be rolled forward till the next year where they could remember it again. That's a ministry of death. And in fact, Paul calls it that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Do y'all know what that's talking about? I see some heads doing that. Here's what he's talking about. When Moses went up to the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments from God, you remember he put Moses in the cleft of the mountain and, and he saw the hinder parts of God? He didn't see the backside of God. What he saw were the things yet to come. You know what I believe he saw? I believe he saw Jesus. And he got to gaze upon what was to come. And when he came down from the mountain, his face was so bright that people couldn't look at him. So what did they have to do? They put a veil over his face. Because the glory of what he was bringing to them in God's law was so bright and magnificent, they couldn't stare at it. They couldn't look at him. And what Paul is saying is even in that ministry of death, there was so much glory that Moses' face had to be veiled. How much more... In this new and better promise and covenant, which is in the Spirit, is their glory present in this agreement with God. You see, ours is not a ministry of death. Ours is a ministry of eternal life. And that light is Jesus Christ. Number two, in the Mosaic covenant, that glory was veiled. They couldn't see it fully. What about us? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15 Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
You see, when they would teach and, and talk about the law of God and even the law of Moses, their hearts were veiled. But he says when they turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. And there's no separation between man and God. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from the degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God is now not restricting access from us to have a relationship with Him. He's saying, all my glory is fully revealed to you because I've given you my Son. And not only have I given you my Son, but when you're obedient to me in baptism, guess what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. Do you realize that when you're baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you receive His Holy Spirit? Now that Spirit is light and it lives within you? And it identifies you as a child of God. I'll tell you, that's glorious. And that's something we need to be reminded of in this covenant relationship that we have with God. The Mosaic Covenant, there was limited accessibility to God. You know when we have access to God? Anytime. I can talk to God through my Savior, Jesus Christ, when? Anytime I want to. You see, Israel didn't have that. Matthew 27, speaking of the death of Christ as Jesus died on the cross, what happened to that veil, that thick veil that separated the holy place in the temple from the most holy place where God dwelt between those cherubims on the Ark of the Covenant? It says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. That veil being torn wasn't by accident. That was God saying, I'm no longer being contained in this most holy place. My spirit now is going out into this world. And guess what? You have access to it. You don't have to go through a high priest once a year to sprinkle blood on an altar. You and I can come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy which is our God's. In the Mosaic Covenant, sin always remained. Because every year, what did they have to do? Make more sacrifices. Could you imagine someone saying, hey, I forgive you of that, but you know, next year you're going to have to come and uh, be reminded of what you've done to me. <laughs> and you're going to make a sacrifice. Would you ever forget it? No. And the law kept that reminder of their sin in front of them all the time. But in the new covenant, guess what? We have forgiveness. Hebrews 10, uh, starting there, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't perfect or forgive sin. He said, otherwise, guess what? They would have continued or giving those offerings and it would have been done. But in verse 3 it says, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Which covenant would you want to live under? A covenant where you're constantly reminded of your sinful past or a covenant where God says, I'll forgive it and make you new. Which is better? We know that, don't we? It's an easy answer. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10 says, Then he added, 
Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There is not another sacrifice that can ever be made. There's no need. There's no power. Because Jesus' sacrifice was perfectly sufficient to accomplish the task of forgiving sin. And we ought to praise God for that. That we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And when he died on the cross and shed his blood, he was saying, you can be totally forgiven. No matter what you have done, if you come to me. See, that law made everyone guilty. But Jesus makes us free. Notice here in Romans chapter 3, Uh, The whole world may be held accountable to God. And since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But then in verse 24, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The law made us guilty. Christ makes us free. And finally, that Mosaic covenant was written in stone. And it served its purpose. But the new covenant, God said, where would he write that? He'd write it on our hearts. He wants his law in our mind. You know why we tell you, and I'm going to tell you every sermon, read your Bible? (laughs) Because that's the way God puts his law in your heart. You read it, you study it, you meditate upon it, you learn it. Because if you'll do that, the next time you're tempted to sin and do something you know you really don't want to do, you're tempted to do something you know is wrong and would violate God and the covenant relationship He wants to have with you, because that word is in you, that may be the thing that you actually turn to and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. And it's God's safety measure to guard our hearts. And if you're not reading and studying it, guess what? You're limiting the power that God has in your life. Read your Bible. Get into the Word so that that Word is written on your heart. And again, here in Hebrews chapter 10, reflecting back on that prophecy from Jeremiah 31. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So I want to ask you, which covenant would you want to live under? That old covenant that was written in stone, that made you guilty, that constantly reminded you of your sin? Or a new covenant full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And you know why we have a new covenant? Because God is faithful. And he's doing exactly what he promised to do from the very beginning. Ephesians 3 and 16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. You see, Christ's law actually expounds upon the law of Moses. What what was one of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not what? 
murder. Well, is it wrong to murder in the New Testament law? Yes. But you know, it's not just wrong to murder. You know what Jesus says? Don't hate. He says, if you have hate in your heart, then you're guilty of murder in your heart. Therefore, don't have hate. Because Jesus understands, if you don't hate, you will never murder. I'll tell you, that's a better law. It's a better command. It, it, was it wrong to steal in the Old Testament? Thou shalt not steal. That was one of the ten. Well, what's the New Testament teach us? Not only not to steal, but instead work with your hands, work hard so that you can help others that are in need. It's a better law. And then he says, don't commit adultery. Old Testament, is it wrong to commit adultery today? Yes, it's sin. But Jesus took it a step farther and said, don't even lust after another woman in your heart. I'll tell you, if you're a married man in this audience and you lust after another woman, guess what? You're committing adultery in your heart. That's what Jesus said. Young men that are unmarried, guess what? If you're lusting after women, if you're looking at pornography and lusting after that, guess what? You're committing fornication in your heart. And it's just a matter of time before what's in your heart comes out in your body. Because that's how this works. That's why Jesus said it's so important that my law gets into your heart and into your mind. Because Jesus knows if he has our hearts, the obedience part will come naturally. And that's a far better covenant. So tonight, I want to tell you, God wants to enter into a covenant with you. And here's the great thing. God's already done everything on his end. (laughs) He's done it all for us. He made an offering. What did he offer? He offered forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, his son. With that offering, guess what? He's made a promise. What's his promise? He'll redeem you. He'll purchase you. Forgive your sins. Give you a new life in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done wrong, your sin, the carnality in your heart and your mind cannot change the faithfulness of God. And that promise is there to be had. But you've got to respond. You see, this is an example of the, that suzerainty covenant. <laughs> God is the authority. He's telling us the terms. And He's making us a promise Romans chapter 6 says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart a form of doctrine from the heart, and that obedience to that form of doctrine has delivered you or saved you. You see, when we do that, we receive His Holy Spirit, another promise of God. Not only do we receive the Holy Spirit, but then we live a life of sacrifice for Him. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then we have a promise of eternal life. So I just want you to look at what's on the screen. I want you to really focus and and give this your attention. God made an offering of Jesus. With that offering, he made a promise of what? Of his Holy Spirit, redemption and the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. Does that sound like a good deal? Man, sign me up. I want that. You know why? Because I know I'm a sinner. And I know if I stand before God clothed in my own righteousness and the things I've done in this life, 
he's going to turn me away. Because there's nothing good in me. But what he offers now is a substitution. So that when I stand before my creator and my God on that day of judgment, he's not going to see Chase at all. What he's going to see is the atoning blood of my Savior. That perfect sacrifice. And through that blood, he's going to say, you get to receive all the promises that I made in covenant with my people. And guys, that's why we spend all this time talking to you. It's not just so we can have a meeting. This isn't for me to get up here and feel good about preaching to you for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I don't know how long it's been. It hasn't been that long. I'll tell you, we preach and we teach because at the end of the day, we want every one of you to be in heaven. We want you to stand before your creator with confidence in Jesus, knowing he's faithful. No matter who has let you down in this world, no matter who has disappointed you in this life, who has broken your trust, you have a savior who's saying, I can fix all of it. And not only can I fix all of it, I can make it better forever. And all you got to do is come to me. All you got to do is confess what you've done. And be willing to obey a few things and live for me and I'll give you everything I can give you. Which one of us would turn that down tonight? But you know the reality is people are going to walk out of here tonight and they're not going to accept that offer. Make sure you're not one of those people. Make sure you know you have the promises of God. Romans 10 and 9 says that if thou will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust the word of God? Is he faithful? Because in Romans 6, he says if, if we'll be baptized into Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we can walk in the newness of life. If you've not done that, you're not in Christ. If you've not done that, God is still laying all these promises on the table saying, they're yours, but you got to come. you got to repent, acknowledge your sin, and be born again and be baptized. And when immediately when you do that, all those promises are yours. And you can go to bed and not confident that you will spend eternity with God and all of His people. And here's the deal. What if I promised you tonight, through you taking a step in faithful obedience to God, that He would make you instantly a millionaire? Would you come get in that baptistry and be baptized? What if I told you, you come and do this and you will find the love of your life and you will spend the rest of your days in a great marriage relationship dedicated and faithful forever? Would you come get in the water? What if I said, the minute you're obeying God in baptism, guess what? You're going to have a brand new house and it's going to be a beautiful home and God will pay the taxes. No matter how high the property taxes get, God will cover it. It's yours. You know what? I bet people would come get in that water. 
What if I said, you're going to lose all the weight you want to lose. Just come get in the baptistry. People would come jump in. What if I said, your cancer could be cured in one simple act of obedience? Wouldn't people go and get baptized? I want to tell you tonight, God's not going to give you a million dollars. He's not going to give you the love of your life. He's not going to give you a new house. He's not going to remove mystically the extra weight you want to lose. And he's not going to remove cancer miraculously because you're baptized. Because he's going to do something even better. He's going to take away your sin. And all those worldly things that we spend so much time concerned about. I want to tell you, when you stand before God, none of those matter. You know what matters tonight? Is whether you're in a covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Tonight, if you need to be baptized, to have your sins washed away and inherit eternal life, there's nothing more valuable. There's no greater decision that you'll ever make. And through that act of obedience, you will accept the promises of God and you will enter into a covenant relationship with God and God will fulfill his promises. But tonight, you need to come to him. If you need prayers of the church or you need to be born again in baptism, please come. Have a seat on the front while we stand and sing. And close thine eyes again.